This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. Now, we need some calls because that's what it's all about. Our number is 49216216 if you'd like to talk to the boys, especially our vet, David Tabbert. Any questions you have about your doggy, your moggy, or your bird, or your goldfish? Or ferret. Ferret. Rabbits. Yeah, rabbits, anything like that. We want to help you out. Our number is 49216216. The boys would like to talk to you. Now, before we do that, a topic today. Have you got a topic to talk about? Well, I was planning on giving a bit of a summary of what we did over the summer holidays and yeah. giving a rundown on that, which we can still do. But I've got to tell you, I think we've got to talk about the heat. Yes. Um, we talked about it before we went off on the Christmas break. And, um, well, February's the hottest month of the year, mm. apparently according to the weather people, and aren't we feeling it? So What we can do to help our animals over this period. Yeah, we yeah. better we better get back onto that topic as well. Okay, we'll do that. And what about you? Have you got a special guest for us, Denny? We do have a natural therapist for pets. She can do dogs, cats, horses, even fish. How about that? Gee, natural good, therapy yeah. for fish. Wonderful. So we've got her. Uh, that's um, We'll be talking to Susan Jeans. We've also got a fantastic product called Scooter. It protects dogs and cats from fleas. Mm-hmm. Um, and some pet events to talk about. Okay, we'll come back in just a moment. 49216216 is the number. If you'd like to give us a call, I can tell you there's a free line waiting there right now if you'd like to get through and have a talk to our vet or to talk to Denny about uh, some food products for your animal. And Joe joins us. Hello, Joe. Hello. What would you like to talk to David about? Um, basically, I just wanted to ask, was there any benefit um, in feeding a dog half in the morning and half in the afternoon? Um, that's a very good question. Hmm. Now, if we think back to dogs and their genetic heritage, there's um, not much difference between the domestic pet and a wolf, for instance. Okay. So their biology and what happens inside when they get the food is goes back thousands of years. And uh, obviously they're hunting dogs, hunting packs and so on. So they tend to, what dogs do is they actually gorge and eat and then go and lie down. Mm. And that, that's how their biology is set up now. Uh, on the other hand, if you look at the outside, your little white fluffy dogs are quite different from a wolf. And so we tend to keep them inside or, or they're getting fed frequently and sometimes, well, twice a day and sometimes a whole lot more than that. Uh, that can lead to problems if you're not careful with obesity um, and, you know, subsequently you know, joint disease and heart disease and all sorts of things, liver disease. So you have to be really careful, but it comes down to the total amount that they eat. And you can feed smaller meals more often. Um, might be suitable uh, as long as you make sure that the total amount that they eat is uh, not excessive for their size and uh, the calories I'm talking about, of course. Um, and so it depends on the food that you feed. Now, there's also some disease conditions where feeding smaller meals frequently might be beneficial. And I think um, certainly with puppies as they're growing, they need to have, um, you know, they start off at five or six meals and then four and then you gradually get them back to, say, one or two meals a day. Um, dogs that are recovering from um, illnesses often need multiple small meals, um, particularly if they've had gastrointestinal disease or pancreatitis. They often need smaller meals. And there's also some uh, some of these breeds of dogs that are prone to a twisted stomach, the bloat, the big, large, deep-chested dogs. We probably think feeding those dogs two meals a day, again, watching that they're not getting too much calories, that feeding them two meals a day slows them down so that they're not gulping the food. 
Yeah, that's what I was thinking because he's a labradoodle and he would just eat and eat and eat if you let him. So I thought half in the morning and half at night, but still only the Mm. recommended amount that's on the bag. That's right, yeah. You've just got to watch that you're not giving them, you know, a full bowl in the morning and a full bowl at night. No. um, And that they're not got food there during the day as well. No. So, but you can do it and and there's probably no, no reason not to as long as you're watching those things. Thank you, Joe. Oh, wonderful. Thanks, Good on you, Joe. Great Thanks. to have you with us. 49216216 is the number if you'd like to give us a call for pet chat. And we've got Anne with us now. Hello, Anne. Hi, how are you going? Good. What would you like to talk to the boys about? Well, my dog loves the seawater, and I was just wondering if leaving the salt water on the coat can actually irritate his skin. Um, what sort of dog is he, Anne? He's a cross between a cattle dog and a savage shoe. <laughs> no wonder he short hair. No wonder he loves the salt water. Um, they it probably uh, the ones that I've seen dogs that have come in from the beach. They tend to fall into two groups. Some it bothers them, and some it doesn't. I think the safest thing is to give them a rinse off under the shower at the beach or whatever with the hose after they've right. been in the water, um, because that way it'll just take any any material off their skin. There's also other things in salt water that if it sits against the skin for any time could cause some problems. Um, But, you know, some dogs are in the sea all the time and they don't have any problems. So I think it comes down to an individual dog. Another thing too, we've noticed with the heat, he's starting to get diarrhoea even though we haven't changed his diet at all. Is that part of heat stress or something? Oh, well, it can be. I hope that's, that's not what you're seeing, though, because certainly that's... Um, the gastrointestinal tract, the gut, is the most sensitive part in terms of um, the damage that can occur with heat stress. Um, there's there's a number of reasons why I could have diarrhoea, um, but... Uh, regularly. Yeah, usually in adult dogs, we don't see a big problem. It's important from a health, you know, preventative uh, thing that we do keep them wormed. Um, there can be obviously a number of different causes. I guess if there's a change in their metabolism, and certainly the hot weather could cause that, um, but it's not usually a feature that we see with dogs. Although if he's drinking lots of water, um, that could that could uh, lead to a slightly loose, um, you know, stool. So it, it really comes down to you know maybe what it looks like. Make sure there's no blood present. Um, and, uh, you know, if he's well in himself, if there's any sign of illness, and uh, we're going to talk about this later about the heat, is just to make sure that um, we're not exercising them in the in the um, warm of the day and that they've got plenty of fresh water available all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but ordinarily I wouldn't have said that you, we, we get to see a lot of diarrhoea associated with just straight heat stress. It's not all the or, time, it's just every so often. I'm wondering... Sometimes when we throw a ball in the water in the salt water, he swallows some of that, so it could yeah. be the salt water well, sort of well, going that's, through him. Yeah, that, that'll definitely cause... Um, yeah. It can cause vomiting in the first instance and yeah. diarrhoea for, you know, 12 hours afterwards. Okay. Mm. Mm. okay. So maybe that's where it's coming from too. Yeah, yeah, it could be. All right. All right. Thanks for your help. Good Thank you, Anne. Thanks, Anne. Okay. You are listening to Pet Chat 49216216 is our number. Is Stan there? Dave, how are you? I'm good, Stan. Great to have you with us. What's your question? Uh, last year, we lost our little pug dog. He had um, a tumour behind his eye. We've had him for 13 years. Oh. He died a horrible bloody death with this tumour behind his eye because no one knew about the tumour. When my local vet, when we took him up there, he extracted two teeth on the Monday. It cost us 500 bucks. On the Thursday, we had to have him put down because he just cowed away from you with pain and that. 
Yeah. That's when they found the tumour behind the eye, which which was killing him. Yeah. Uh, what what our problem is, we wanted to buy another pup, another mm-hmm. um, another pug. Pug. Yeah. But, but they're twelve hundred dollars a, a pop just for a pup, you know. Yeah. I was wondering if any of the listeners might have a pup, and we're, we're prepared to pay for it, but we can't pay twelve hundred dollars. You're hooked on the you're hooked on the breed, aren't you, Stan? Yeah. Well, I've got, yeah. Dave knows me. I've got an old. Um, Kelpie Cross German Shepherd here beside me. He's, he's sixteen year old. Oh, okay. And even he missed a little pup, you know, when it's when it died and that. Yeah. So that's what we're trying to. That's why I rang. I was just hoping maybe one of the listeners might be able to help us out a bit. Stan, there's also a hunter animal watch. There might be some rescue pugs. Yeah, I, I've read an RSPCA and asked, but I, I've never heard anything back from them at all. Okay. Then yeah, that's probably worth chasing up, but. Um, uh, purebred dogs um, are becoming uh, well, not not rarer, but I think there's some. Um, the people do snap them up. There's a big demand for for dogs, and um, so the prices do, you know, move accordingly. But there are opportunities where, um, like uh, Danny was saying, with the rescue or through the RSPCA, that you might be able to um, source a dog as well. But if we do get any any calls, we can certainly um, no worries pass on some details. So. Yeah, thank very much for that. Yeah, they they get you hooked to pug. They're a completely yeah. different personality dog. <laughs> <laughs> they get under uh, your skin. No worries. You take Thanks, it easy, Stan. Stan. Stan's my man. Good on you, Stan. He's listening all the time. He's a great guy. We were actually visiting him last night, so he's a lovely man. <laughs> and his wife, Colleen. My thoughts and our prayers are out to you, Colleen. She's not well at the moment. She's in hospital, so we hope Colleen gets better oh, soon. Okay. Yep. We hope she's out of there soon. But enjoy the air conditioning while you're in there, Colleen, if you're listening. <laughs> 28 past 12. We're going to take a short break. Just before we do go, wanted to ask you a quick question. We've got a couple of calls waiting. Kath will come to you after this ad break. and all, After this uh, uh, break, we've got, and also Shirley. Uh, we mentioned the dogs going for a swim. Now, Going mm. for a swim in the ocean, the salt water is great and good healing benefits for us humans. What about for the animals? Is it good for them if they've got a cut or a nick or a sore? Yeah, a lot of dogs, particularly over summer, often get um, infections and little things between the toes. That's a common area. Mm. And I've always said to people, if you can get them into the sea, into the ocean, maybe once a day or every second day, that yeah. swirling salt water is really great beneficial. benefits, yeah. yeah. I remember a dog I saw years ago as a British bulldog that had years and years of foot foot problems, and every summer when they took it to the beach, they all cleared up, and then it'd come back, unfortunately. But, again, you'd have to then rinse them off yes. yeah, and dry them. So it's just it's a great exercise for them. And, uh, you know, when um, Anne was saying about her dog, a cattle dog, Staffy Cross, boy, they just go crazy in the beach. They love it. Our number is 49216216 and waiting very patiently for us today to talk about her goldfish is Kath. Good morning, Kath. How are you? Good morning. And I've got, oh, I shouldn't say good morning. I'm stuck on it. It's afternoon. I'm a first time caller, so bear with me if I'm a bit nervous, okay? You'll be right. The boys are here. Uh, I won't keep long. The thing is, I have a a big big goldfish pond out the front. I've got about 15 goldfish. They're quite old, most of them. And I had a shabunkan in amongst it. You know, the multicolored one? That's what I call shabunkan, shabunkan. Right. Anyway, uh, about a month ago it developed a sort of a very big belly and I thought it was just being overfed. So we cut down the food to most of them but she still kept developing bigger and bigger and so much so that she was using her tail to manoeuvre herself. And then a couple of days ago she went underneath where the shadow where they go and she sort of disappeared for a day and we never saw her. Next day she come up, she's almost right as rain, there's no big bloated belly, there's nothing. My husband and I was just wondering what might have caused it. 
Mm. Well, the fact that it's gone. I was thinking one thing and then you've changed course on me, so now I'm thinking another. She looks fine now. She's fine. The, she's, she's swimming with the others properly. She's under yes. the water. She's yes. not using her tail to manoeuvre herself. Yeah. Nothing. She's just back to normal. But it was a good month that she had this big bloated belly that just kept getting bigger and bigger. Was and it the babies, was it? She wasn't pregnant, was she? No. No, I don't think no, no. so. None of the others were. No, they lay eggs. So. It was just a mystery. Um, and I was just wondering what the mystery might have been. Well, the when she when she had the bloated belly, was she swimming on, like, vertically or on her side? No, or? she was swimming practically normal, but yeah. in order for when she needed to go under the water, the tail would just be mostly doing it. You would see her sort of, like, almost head down. But the tail would be, the, the poor little devil, she just seemed to be swimming like a blackmore does. And could she get down underwater? Or said, oh, no, we've got a very deep goldfish pond. And while she had the bloated belly, she could get to the bottom, etc. Yeah, she could get to the bottom. She'd come up when we tapped them for food and everything with, with everybody else. She didn't seem distressed except this funny way of swimming, and this belly just got bloated and bloated. Well, the things I'd be thinking about is that there could be fluid accumulation, and I guess the fact that it's gone away mm-hmm. would make me think it was in the swim bladder, right. which is an organ they usually put... I, I um, that because I also have koi as well, so... Yeah, they, so they normally regulate their buoyancy and so on, mm-hmm. um, but they sometimes they can get blocked and have problems with that. Mm. I thought it might have been because she's old. She's, she's a good 15 years old. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I yeah. know. Oh, I've, I've got goldfish here that are quite old. You get a pension card for them. That's <laughs> incredible. <laughs> That's um, The fact that it went away makes me think that, yeah, it's probably been a swim bladder Might thing. Might have been a swim bladder bloke. In which case... She's perfect now. Yeah, she's probably gone to the bottom. They often pick up um, little uh, little pebbles and so on. Right. and okay. they Sometimes um, that can be sitting in the, in the, in the gut as well. Right. And then that can cause uh, right. problems and cause blockages. Yeah. It's just that, you know, I thought, oh, gosh, we're going to have to euthanasia. But I left her mm. after, and then just all of a sudden, this one morning, she came up after not seeing her yeah. for a day. Yeah. And now she's perfectly fine. We may never know. She's an old fish. <laughs> <laughs> She'll live another 15 years. Yeah, good. <laughs> Let's hope. Yeah. All right. Thank, Thank you for your call, much. Kath. Thanks, Bye. thanks, Kath. It's Pet Chat four nine two one six two one six is our number here at Two and URFM. Let's continue with another call. Waiting patiently for us is Shirley. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. What would you like to talk to David about? Um, I'd like to talk to him about my small toy poodle, mm-hmm. um, who's fifteen years old. Oh, okay. Um, he's very well. It really, he's um, he eats reasonably well. He's active and. He's blind in one eye and going blind in the other, and his hearing's going. But otherwise, he lives a fairly reasonably happy life. However, he's got a digestive problem that we can't seem to get to the bottom of, where he will approximately once a week get a build-up of bile, which he projectile vomits. Once a week? About once, yeah, roughly once a week. Okay some sort of a blockage or something. I've had him to the vet these times and mm. no, nobody can seem to get to the bottom of it. Probably, I mean, the frequency... How long has this been going on for first, Shirley? Oh, it's been going on for a couple of years. Yeah, chronic vomiting. Um, it's a totally different uh, kettle of fish compared to dogs that come in that have just started vomiting today. The whole set of diseases that we think about are, are going to be quite different. Um and they often require quite uh, detailed investigation to get to the bottom of it. So we have to weigh up the, you know, the pros and cons of that. The sort of disease conditions that we think about um, with dogs in that scenario are things like inflammatory bowel disease, 
and sometimes that means that we've got to actually have a biopsy of the stomach wall to uh, determine that's what's going on. Um, and I'd be really suspicious that that's what's happening because of the frequency is that uh, once a week um, projectile vomiting certainly sounds like stomach, um, not esophagus, probably not small intestine, although sometimes you can get intestinal um, diseases that will obviously cause the vomiting of this yeah. order. But um, I'd be concerned that there's some sort of chronic inflammatory disease in the stomach. Um, has the frequency increased or decreased with this? Well, no, we've got him on um, this prescription dog food at the moment for kidney problems because he showed up in uh-huh. the urine test that he had some problem with his kidneys. Um, well, that wasn't obvious in any other way. Is that KD or UD yeah. food? Yeah, yeah okay. KD. KD. Um, like it much, and he, and he sometimes <laughs> doesn't eat it at all. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it seems he's still doing the this vomiting bile thing. I mean, it's just bile. It's not food ever. Um, it's it uh, depends on when you last had a kidney blood test done as well. So probably if that's been a while, it might need to. No, that's just been done. No, recently. and that's stable. Yeah, seems to be. Mm. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot of dogs can have also, as they get to this older age, have multiple problems, but I'd be concerned that it could be inflammatory bowel disease. And the the benefits of treatment versus, uh, you know, not treating it, it might just, in a lot of cases, we just use diet to manage it anyway. Um, and sometimes they do need medication, but you can't start them on medication so much until they've had a biopsy, and that would require an anaesthetic um, and... Uh, a camera and endoscope to go down into the stomach, have a look around, and take some pieces out. Um, so we've got to, you've got to weigh up about going through that step uh, versus just tolerating what's happening. But um, chronic vomiting, if it certainly if it increased, um, I would you know want to look into it further. But it may be something that we just have to tolerate at this stage. And if you can, the other thing is the dietary therapy is to switch to ZD, but I don't know how that's going to interfere with your kidney function, so you should talk to your vet about that. The ZD food is actually a a, um, vegetable-based protein rather than uh, meat-based protein because it's thought that the dogs with inflammatory bowel disease have uh, some sort of allergic reaction to the meat proteins. Okay, Shirley, hope you, uh, that gives you some direction there today. Mm. With thanks to, to David for that one. Let's continue. We've got another call right now. Monique's waiting patiently. Hello, Monique. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. What would you like to talk to David about? Well, I've got a cat, and yep. she's, she's got a little grass nest underneath a, a yellow daisy, which she sleeps in all the time because it's shady. And on Tuesday, the lawnmower man poisoned around there. Right. And just to kill the grass, actually. And, of course, I was away on Wednesday, and when I came home, she was in there, in that nest. And she hasn't eaten since then, and she's just wandering around. And I picked her up this morning, and she just ran round and ran up underneath the house. She doesn't look 100%, but I can't get her out. So do you think Mm. the poison off that grass would have had an effect on it? Uh, well, it depends on I mean, exactly what was used. In most cases, they're going to use um, glyphosate, uh, which in, as soon as it contacts the ground then becomes starts to break down and the risk of toxicity is really low. Um, there are a couple of other things that can be used, but generally these days the, the um, poisons that are used in those circumstances are relatively safe. I'd certainly talk to... Um, 
to the gardener about exactly what was used so that you can check on that because that may may be a factor. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily put it down to that. The only other thing I was thinking was that if there was stuff there and it's just on her coat, like well. if she's laid down on it, and she may just be irritated by the, the carrier molecule rather than the poison itself. But So maybe well. a bath might work to help reduce that. Yeah, well, when I grabbed her yesterday afternoon, she was laying out in the shade yesterday afternoon, so I brought her inside and I had a wet flannel mm. and I wiped all of her coat down thinking that she might have picked a bit of the poison up because yeah. it's been really off. And um, that's what I said last night. She's an indoor cat, like in the night time. Yes. And she's usually just sort of hanging around the house somewhere. Well, this morning she wasn't. She was sitting out in the in the back barbecue area yeah and she didn't look a hundred percent then either and i was a bit worried i thought well i hope i wiped all the poison off if there was any on a coat yeah yes. she might have licked it sort of thing and got a bit of you know the poison inside yeah that's always the concern with cats because they're grooming themselves incessantly so at the moment if she's under the house um is it well ventilated under there i mean is it something you need to get her out and well, I can't get her out. She's right there. Oh, no. She's right over on the other side of the house, and normally she doesn't go there. Mm. I'm just hoping she hasn't gone there to die. Well, I'd certainly, particularly with this heat, I think I'd um, see if we can get her out of there and tempt her out with some food. I, I know that you said that she wasn't that interested, but um, I'd be worried about her behaviour, suggesting that she's got something, some problem going on. So um, if you get her out and uh, there's... Um, things about her like her behavior is the same and you're concerned about that i'd certainly get her checked out um because it doesn't sound right i mean you know what she's like and so if there's any change i'd say need to get her checked out and make sure that there's find out what the the poison on the grass was and then find out from your local vet whether we're going to have a problem with that good luck with that so. one monique Four nine two one six two one six is the number for pet chat we've got another call coming through right here for us hello jan Hello. How are you today? I'm um, very well, thanks. And boys about. Um, it was mainly just acknowledging. I was wondering if if David is David from the Newcastle Animal Emergency Centre. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to acknowledge what great work you did because um, I'm looking at my little dog now. I've had a little schnauzer that was a naughty girl and ate snail bait that she wasn't supposed to get to. Oh. On the, the table. Yep. Yep. And. Um, it was in the morning, and I had been at work when I got home. She's on the floor in convulsions. And um, how she's still alive, I don't know, but basically for the great work that um, the emergency centre did and my vet at Maitland. So, oh, um, I'm, I'm glad to hear she's going well because we've talked about snailbait before. It's so dangerous, but, um, you know, for, for her to um, get through it all, and we're just glad that we could help out at the time. Well, you did a marvellous job. It was great. Kept me... Um, Informed all through the night, and um, yeah, it was great. Oh. Was now four years ago, um, she had a lot of liver damage, virtually mm. with no um, no liver function. But thanks to uh, vet um, Christy at Maitland, yep, yep, uh, got all the diet right, and we had her on um, thistle milk and all sorts of teas to look after her liver. Yeah. 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 Oh, thanks, Jan. Thanks for the call. That's, that's it's it's a it's a timely warning too over some of that um, people put snail baits out and stuff and well, so the part was I bought this snail bait and thought no I'm not going to use it yeah I didn't like putting it around and put it up and was going to get rid of it um, and she climbed up on the table during the day and ate just virtually half a box of it so she 
got a good dose. And it had gone through its stomach into the bowel, so yeah. right through its system. Yeah, no, it's nasty stuff. Nasty stuff, I'll tell you. So, well, I'm glad I'm glad she's doing okay. You better keep the snail bait away from her. <laughs> Thank you so much for your call there, Jan. <laughs> Thanks, Jan. Uh, we'll have to get in the line-up now. Danny, see if someone wants to ring up and say how good we are. You know, <laughs> yes. Fan calls there for, uh, for David Tamaris. Yeah, blushing. Good. Look at him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you guys are great. I need to find out about this product that you've brought in today. Can we just uh, have a quick talk about that? We've got another call to go back to with Christine soon, but I'm really interested in what Scudo is. Scudo, it's actually the Italian word for shield. Shield, go. oh, good shield. name, good name. This, the inventor is an, is an Italian, and what happened is, is he's, he's had a dog that he was with in Frankfurt, and he got attacked by lots of ticks and had a reaction on the chemicals that, that are used to treat, treat ticks. So he thought to himself, he read an article about ultrasonic waves um, that uh, help with parasites. And through some investigation and work with American Scientist magazine that, that had the article in it and the Biological Institute of the University of Milan, they developed uh, a product which is called Scudo, which, which emits an ultrasonic wave while the dog... It's attached to the dog's collar. It's the size of a 20-cent coin, basically. Mm-hmm. Yep. A little bit thicker. And it, it emits this wave which prevents ticks and fleas coming onto your dog so it it's it's quite unique so therefore it doesn't it helps so you don't have to use the chemicals how long does it last it lasts between six months to 12 months so it lasts a while but it's actually really good though to use in conjunction because we often get in the store people saying oh look i'm using this product and it's not working what should i change to or whatever the thing is is that if you've got you're using your, your, your flea and tick products, but also maybe using this in conjunction, you can have better results during the summer period when they really are a big problem. So they work quite quite well in that regard. They're all excellent for using on pregnant bitches, lactating bitches and so forth. Little, little dogs, dogs and big dogs? Yep, little dogs and big dogs. Yeah. They work really well. It's inaudible, so it's harmless to humans and pets as well because it works at 40,000 hertz. Um, it's the size of the name tag. It just fits on the, on the pet's collar whether it's a cat or a dog it emits that continuous ultrasonic impulse it's fine if you're washing your dog on but the only problem is is take it out if your dog's going to go in salt water because Mm -hmm. obviously there's parts in there that can rust Um, so it can be used as i said in conjunction with your other common anti-parasitic products um, during that heavy time of the year um, it's it's been around in Australia for a little while, but not many stores in Newcastle have it. So it's 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 just come to me this week actually, and I thought this would be a good product to have. And it's called Scudo. Scudo. How do you spell it? S K U D O. S K U D O. Scudo. You can put it around their neck, and it emits a little transmitter type thing, which puts a wavelength out there. Out there, and it stops the no fleas, fleas and ticks getting onto yeah. the dog. Great idea. When you start using it, it is ideal to use. Uh, 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 chemical product as well for the first month if you want to stop using you have to use it for the first month and go on because the chemical problems at the other end of the spectrum uh, stop them from breeding as well don't they like your front lines and so forth don't they Dave? Yeah well there's a whole range of them and they work on different different levels so mm. I think um, you know as a preventative we try, I always tell people look we try and do a number of things but mm. you've also got to be careful because of toxicity you know, if you're doubling up with chemicals or different things, you can actually poison uh, poison your pet. So you've got to be really careful. Yeah. Great tip for our animals today, Scudo. Thank Scudo. you for that one, Denny. That's now, we've got it. another call here. Christine's with us. Hello, Christine. Hello. What would you like to talk about? 
Well, firstly, about Scudo, that answers um, a question I do have because I've got dogs that are allergic to the um, the flea and tick control. Okay. I, I use it as a, a last resort um, through the, the hotter months, but wow, this sounds great. So I, that I, was very timely, wasn't it? <laughs> very timely. I sat and listened to that, so that was great interest, so thank you. It actually does mention that that, that, that animals who do have a, a reaction or allergic reaction to the current uh, parasitic pro, uh, chemicals that we use, it can be used on them, so it's worthwhile trying. Oh, absolutely. And just see how it goes. But I have seen lots of testimonials of people who have used it to say that it is really, really good and has worked well. Oh, great. Thank yeah. You. Well, my, my question is that um, I have dogs with skin allergies mm-hmm. and um, I'm feeding them basically on a diet of uh, human consumption turkey mince, which um, is about $10 a kilo, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I give them a small amount of the, the dry hypoallergenic um, raw cannon, which they don't particularly like, but they will have it, and mm. small amounts of just the um, good quality canned dog food. Uh, am I giving them a, a balanced diet and getting all their vitamins and minerals? Um, yes, yes. Uh, no doubt that it's a balanced diet um, because the majority of your diet is constructed around a commercial product that's already balanced anyway. Uh, is the majority it... of it would be the, the actual um, the, the turkey mint. Oh, right, okay. Which is 97% fat-free. I mean, it's human consumption turkey mint is what you buy from uh, the supermarket. Have you got... Is more than one dog? I've got two little dogs, yes. And what sort of dogs are they? Uh, one's a uh, Maltese Poodle Cross. Yep. Uh, she's about 12. And then I've got a Chihuahua Maltese Cross. And they've both got um, skin problems? They have. They're both... uh, A dog that I I actually lost last year, she had major, major skin problems. We had Mm. tested and everything, and and that was about the only thing that that she could survive on. And I've just sort of carried that through, and uh, I'm just finding if I I give the other dogs uh, meat, um, the itch is just unbelievable if I give them chicken. It's... uh, Yep. That's reacting too. So I'm just sticking to to this diet that I'm used to for years and years. And, yep. uh, but I'm I'm still concerned that I'm I'm not actually giving them the the proper balance that they're supposed to have. And you said you're giving some tin food as well. I'm giving a very small amount of tin food okay. to, um, to 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 make it all taste nice. I mix it all up, and, and the only way they'll eat the um, the dry food, the raw cannon, if it if it is soaked in the juices of the the turkey mince when we, we cook it. Yeah, you might. The only, in terms of skin problems, certainly, um, th- you know, there can be a number of different reasons for that. And sometimes diet does help to play a role in controlling it. The difficulty is finding which combination or which foods are going to reduce the, um, the reactions the most. But in a lot of cases, it's not that it's just a straight-out food intolerance or food allergy there's multiple causes and you're controlling, you know, a little bit of the environment that you can control is what they actually consume. So it helps to do that. But um, I'm just looking at that thinking, well, the, the thing is that if they actually eat any molecule of a, of a um, food that is going to induce an allergy, it doesn't have to be very much that that can actually trigger reaction. And I'm concerned that you've gone to a lot of trouble in terms of sourcing and cooking the turkey mince you've got the hypoallergenic raw cannon food and then we're adding in a little bit of tin food for flavor no doubt but if that's actually going to might exacerbate or continue to promote 
the allergy and the skin or the reaction. So um, the idea with dietary therapy is that you try to narrow it down to the least number of elements, um, the least number of components that are going to get control. And um, there are other ways that you can probably look at, um, as you say, cooking the turkey mince could be just one way of generating some juices to put onto the raw cannon food rather than using the tinned food. Because I'd just be worried that there's... We just... The labelling on tin food is a little is quite variable. Is the is the tin food a sensitive skin formula? No, it's not. No. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the that's the only area I'd be worried. I think I'd probably try and take that out. Um, and it's it's going to be seasonal that you'll get them flaring up at different times and so on. Um, and you're not always going to get control with just dietary therapy. Um, it's whenever I talk to clients about this, it's a real visual discussion. Mm. I need a big whiteboard. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it doesn't really translate to the radio very yeah, well to actually yeah. show you the elements of what's going into it. But um, be that as, as it may, I'd say the tin food might only be the thing that's going to continue to promote um, allergy in the skin. And the thing is that every little bit of inflammation just allows the inflammation to get worse later on. So I, I would say take that out of the diet. Um, you might need to balance up by having more of the raw cannon rather than mostly turkey mince in terms of balance, though. Rightio. Thank you so much for that, Christine. Good luck with that. You are listening to Pet Chat here with thanks to our sponsor, the Pet Shop Boys, at 2NURFM 103.7. Dave, we've got Susan Jeans on, on the phone, and she's a natural therapist for pets. Susan Jeans has been involved in natural therapies for the past 10 years. She's qualified as a remedial massage therapist in 1999 and in 2006 earned a certificate in canine massage as well. She's currently studying for a certificate for in small animal nutrition with the National College of Traditional Medicine in Victoria. And last year, Susan completed the Australian Bushflower Practitioners course with their college. Susan is a long-time animal lover and currently owns, she says, three very naughty Australian shepherds. Welcome to the show, Susan. Thank Hi, you for Katie. coming along. Oh, not a problem at all. Now, what are bushflower essences and how are they made? Well, bushflower essences are um, basically taking our native flowers that we know of in Australia, such as Grevillea and Waratah, and we they have they're known to have healing properties. The Aboriginal mm-hmm. peoples have been using them for for centuries to heal different issues. Yep. And what we've done is we've they, Ian White in the bushflower um, folks have infuse these flowers in pure spring water. So it's made like a tea or a brew out of the flower. The actual flower itself is not in the, in the essence. It is just actually the essence of the flower. Yeah. And then that's what we give as a, a medicinal sort of uh, treatment. Wow, okay. And are they safe? Oh, they're absolutely safe because they're basically just the um, essence of the flower. The actual bits and pieces of the flower aren't in there, so there's no allergic reaction that can be caused from consuming the flower. Mm-hmm. There's no, um, and they're in spring water, so there's, there's no chemicals, there's no additives, no preservatives, with, with the exception of a little bit of brandy to, uh, to help them have a bit of a shelf life. But other than that, there's, there's nothing in them that would be harmful to anyone, human or animal. Oh, a little bit of brandy doesn't hurt anyone, does it? <laughs> 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 so I find that quite interesting, and you, I, know, I know of a lot of uh, people do seeing people are like practitioners, Chinese herbs, and your acupuncturists. But this is using Australian wildflowers, so that's quite interesting. How does it work, and how are they administered? Okay, well, they they work on what's known as a vibrational level or vibrational medicine, which is sort of a new um, 
we know a lot of a lot of illnesses are caused by mental and emotional problems, mm-hmm. and that's sort of what these flowers address: is the the causes behind issues. Mm-hmm. They're very easy to take. Um, human beings, we put seven drops in our mouth morning and night with of the flower of the particular essence that we use for whatever your particular problem is. Yeah. With animals, it's it's not so. I mean, it, it can be just as easy. We can, if they don't want to take a, a dropper full of medication in the morning, they can have a drop in their water or on their food. Um, yeah, they're they're quite easy to take. My dogs take them, and they they actually like taking them. <laughs> and what about for like what kind of problems are we looking at? Mm-hmm. The sort of simple ones with with animals. Well, simple ones, basic ones. A lot of people are, have a problem with would be um, thunderstorms. Dogs afraid of thunderstorms. Yeah, yeah. And there's a, a product called Emergency Essence, which is a combination of several different flowers that actually helps to calm the animal down in a thunderstorm situation or, or where it would be in a panic situation. Right, okay. And my, uh, my dog just absolutely hates thunderstorms, and the second I hear a bit of thunder in the distance, he gets a dose of the emergency essence, and um, it calms him right down. He's, wow. He doesn't like the storm, but he doesn't try to dig and get out of the house and carry on in panic. So yeah, it, yeah. it takes the edge off of him. And are they just for emergency purposes like that, or can there be uh, long-term changes? Oh, long-term changes, absolutely. Um, we, we've had, a, I've had a bit of success with dogs that are a bit aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, you know, by getting some flowers that calm them and, and address the issues of why they're aggressive, which is usually fear. Yes. Um, things like that. We address those issues, and after a course of treatment, an average course of treatment would be anywhere from two weeks to two months, depending on how severe the problem is. So yep. they're not, you know, it's not a lifetime sort of thing for a lot of problems. Right, okay. Um, and they, they're, they're quite helpful. And what about some more like uh, serious type of medical issues? Right, well, a lot of uh, physical medical issues, I mean, they're not, not going to go out and say they're going to replace the vets and yes. medications with the vets, absolutely not. Yep. They are a complementary medicine to that. And if, if a dog or, or pet has, you know, because they're good for cats or birds or everybody as well, um, if they have a serious medical issue, a lot of times the florist can help with things like calming the animal, keeping, yep. them, keeping them from being so nervous when there's going to be treatments, yep. um, if they're afraid of the vets and things like that, okay. and, and creating a relaxation in the animal which will allow the medicines to work better. And you've been able to help dogs, cats, horses, and you're even mentioning fish. Um, we can use we can use the um, essences for your tropical fish when they have when you have issues in your tank where the sh- fish might be in shock for some reason the pH is out of balance or something like that. We can use uh, different flower essences in the fish tank to calm them down and take that shock away from the fish wow. dying hopefully. Okay, now um, for anyone who wants to come and uh, or actually talk to you or see your website, the address is www.susandynamicdogs.vpweb.com, and we do have that at the reception desk in, um, at the radio station here. So if you need to get that again, we can send that through. But thank you very much for your time. Oh, it was my pleasure, Danny. Okay. All right, you have a good day. Bye bye, Susan. Thank you very much for being a guest there this morning. Now we've got one minute to go. We'll see if Sandra's still waiting there. Hello, Sandra. Hello. Oh, can we do this very quickly? We've got one minute, Sandra. Sorry. No, that's fine. Yeah, David's I'm a listening. Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. He's 10 years old and has a terrible body odour. And you can smell him through the house. Does it mean that he's sick? Not necessarily. The most likely thing that we see associated with that is a yeast infection on the skin. And probably, just quickly, the best way I would treat that would be probably twice weekly or every second day bathing with a product called Maliseb. It's a um, 
It's a, a medicated shampoo designed for yeast infections on skin. Excellent. You hold on there the line there, Sandra. Hold on there because David's going to pick up in a moment and talk to you further about that. Thank mm-hmm. you for your patience today. Now, uh, almost one o'clock. Thank you, boys. Thank you so much to both of you. Thanks, Dave. Thank Back you, Dave. again <laughs> next Friday with our yep. pet chat here at 2NURFM.